with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and we have taken the next step in the pre-draft process as Senior Bowl invitations and acceptances have begun, giving us plenty to discuss here on the podcast today. We begin things at the top of this week's show on Draft Buzz, where I chat with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com to get the latest on what you need to know from around the country with an eye towards the NFL Draft. We have got some risers and sliders to hit on with Tony as we get into the home stretch of the regular season, along with some underclassmen news as well. But after Draft Buzz, we'll then transition to Scouting Report, where this week I'm going to break down one of those players with a confirmed invitation to the Reese's Senior Bowl. That's New Mexico State linebacker Terrell Hanks. There's a lot to like about what this kid offers for the NFL, and I'll explain why he's one of my favorite linebackers that I've studied so far for the 2019 NFL Drafts. After that, we'll get to Mr. Relevant, where this week we've got the pleasure of welcoming Eagles linebackers coach Ken Flagel onto the show to talk about the transition that young linebackers face when making the jump from college to the NFL. Next up, we've got our Saturday scouting segment where Ben Fennell drops in to talk about his takeaways from the swamp before diving into his thoughts on this week's road trip. Then we wrap things up on Draft Mailbag where I'll take a question from you guys at home and answer them here on the show. As always, we've got a ton going on this week, so let's not waste any more time. Let's get things started with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for some draft buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. It's time to welcome in the best in the business when it comes to breaking news surrounding the NFL Draft. That's Tony Pauline, the Draft Insider Extraordinaire from DraftAnalyst.com. And Tony, let's get things started with some buzz about the Senior Bowl. Phil Nagy, who joined us on the show here just a few weeks ago, let everybody know that the initial round of invitations went out this week. Schools got them in the mail earlier this week, and we started to get some of those announcements, some of which we'll hit on here a bit on the show. But are you hearing anything else that we should know? And what happens now with the rest of this invitation process? What I'm told is uh, the initial 60 uh, invitations went out to the top senior prospects. So at this point in time, I'm not expecting any surprises. Uh, what they're going to do is that they will decide who's going to receive the remaining invitations, which is going to number about 55. I'm told they've done all their traveling, they've done all their scouting. It's just now narrowing the, the list down. I, I, there won't be, I'll be shocked if there were any surprises in the initial 60 because it's the top. 60 seniors in the country, uh, you know, and then when the final batch of 55 or so go out in a couple of weeks, we'll have to see who accepts the invitations, who wants to go to the senior bowl and play, but maybe too injured and who just say, says, you know, listen, I'm just not going to participate. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, prepare myself for the combine, which is a mistake. We saw that with Josie Jewell, um, last year. And then, you know, really literally up until senior bowl week, there will be add-ons and replacements. Um, as of right now, I'm, I'm hearing nothing, uh, nothing major. I don't expect any surprises. We may see a couple of names, as we have in the past, uh, surprise names in that second batch of invitations that go out. Yeah, and usually, just like you mentioned, you'll, you'll get a lot of those guys that will then decline later. But early on, I'm sure a lot of these big names will accept, so we'll get a lot of that news uh, here in the coming days. All right, Tony, let's get to some talk about some juniors now. And one name that I personally have yet to study, but we've talked about him a little bit on this show, and that's NC State wide receiver Kelvin Harmon. Big wide out for the Wolf Pack. Uh, you think he's going to jump into this class and become a part of this wide receiver group? Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. I mean, I was told uh, 
last week that he was definitely entering the draft. I found out last night that his name was mentioned during senior day. He was introduced to senior day, which is usually a sure sign that he's going to uh, he's going to take a, he's going to make a move to the next level. You know, I've seen some very early projections in round one on Kelvin Harmon. I, I just want to wait and see how fast he runs. He's a bigger bigger guy who catches the ball very well and wins out for the contested pass. But he's got to but he's got to do show that he can do more than that to be a top forty five pick. There are plenty of big guys, but can he separate? Does he run decent routes? You know, if it's a battle for everything at the next level, and scouts feel like it's going to be a battle for everything at the next level, his draft stock is going to is going to drop. You know, I don't want to be redundant, but Alan Lazard last year, Iowa State, big body receiver. Uh, caught the ball very well, ended up running a 4.55 and didn't get drafted. Harmon's having a terrific year, 65 receptions thus far for 965 yards and five TDs. Goes about 6'2", 212 pounds. You know, we've got to see what the actual measurements are. We've got to see, you know, again, the 40 time, especially the 10 split. Is the 10 split good, which means he, he has a good get off uh, from the line of scrimmage. Uh, and, and he's got to show that he's, he's a natural pass catcher, but he's got to prove that he can do more than just win out and, and beat down guys for the contested throw. Yeah, and I would throw, you mentioned Alan Lazard. I think you can throw Simi Cobbs from Indiana, Auden Tate from Florida State into that group from last year as well. The big receivers really didn't fare all that well in last year's draft. And I think it should be noted too, uh, Tony, that Dave Doran, the head coach for NC State, he's had some success recently getting big-name juniors to stay put. We've talked about that before with guys like Dabo Swinney at Clemson. Uh, you know, Doran did that a year ago, or two years ago now with Bradley Chubb. He did it with Ryan Finley last spring. Is there any shot that that happens here, and you think Doran is able to kind of recruit Kelvin Harmon to stay on board for his senior season. Yeah, I doubt it. Not that you know, that's what I'm, not what I'm hearing about Harmon. Uh, I'm, he's going to have to re-recruit Jacoby Myers. Their other talented receiver. You know, everyone talks about Kevin Kelvin Harmon, but Jacoby Myers is highly thought of in scouting circles. A lot of people think he's going to be a, a big time next level receiver. He doesn't have the size of Harmon, but he's got better speed. So. You know, Doran's got his uh, his work cut out for him. I think Bradley Chubb was a bit of a different situation last year with the family situation. He had no problems, uh, you know, returning. Uh, I'd be shocked if uh, if Doran's able to keep Harmon on the roster. All right, Tony, let's go to the SEC. And one prospect and one school I'll be talking about later uh, in the show with Ben Fennel. Tony, the Florida Gators and pass rusher Ja'Kai Polite. Have you heard anything about his next-level potential, how scouts and how teams view him? Uh, do you think he is a candidate to potentially declare for this draft? I was told yesterday that the belief is Polite is going to declare for the draft, but it's not a definite, and I'll get into that in a second. Area scouts say he's a first-round selection. Where he goes in the first round depends on a couple of things, how he works out before the draft and how the other top pass rushers and defensive ends, the Brian Burns, the Josh Allens, the Rashawn Garys, also work out before the draft. So the belief is he's going to enter the draft, though it's not a definite. You know, you talk about Doran before re-recruiting those guys. I think Dan Mullen is also going to work very hard, uh, you know, to keep those guys at Gainesville. And right now the difference between North Carolina State and the Florida Gators are the Gators really never expected to be as good this year, and they believe that Mullen is starting to build something there. So it may be easier for Mullen to keep the Polites and the Zeningas in line at Florida. Um, I think when all is said and done, Polite will enter the draft. He'll be a first-round pick. I see some people say he's going to be a top-ten pick. I, I just I'm not going to I'm not going to say that right now. We don't know what his measurables are. We don't know what how we test athletically. We don't know how the other guys, the other top pass rushers, are going to test athletically. 
going to be interesting to see, but uh, the feeling I'm getting is if you're a mock draft guy and you do a lot of mock drafts, you keep Polite in that, in that first-round area because he's likely to enter. Tony, Ohio State has not had quite the season that they imagined in the preseason, but uh, Mike Weber, the, the junior running back, still a pretty talented player. You know, He's taken a bit of a backseat to J.K. Dobbins, the true sophomore there who's not draft eligible. Uh, what do you think of, of Mike Weber, and is he a guy that could be a candidate to declare for this draft? Uh, I like Mike Weber a lot. I mean, after his redshirt freshman season, I graded him as a second-day pick. He's got excellent size. He's got the power to run on the inside. He's got excellent short area quickness to make defenders miss. He has enough agility to turn the corner. Really is the really is a, a big time package. I know after his uh, sophomore season, <clears throat> some scouts had graded him as a fifth round pick because of the fact that he took a backseat to Dobbins. Uh, will he declare? I know that there was talk of him, or he was considering entering last year's draft. So if he was considering la- entering last year's draft, I think it's got to be. Uh, more on his mind and, and more of a greater chance that he enters the 2019 draft. I think he has all the tools to be a big-time player at the next level. I don't know why, you know, if it was the scheme sort of situation or just a talent type of situation where J.K. Dobbins got the, uh, the lion's share of the carries the past two years. But whenever Ohio State has basically called on uh, Weber to be the man, he's come through. We saw it this past weekend against Michigan State that had the top run defense in the Big, in the big Ten. I think he had 101 yards on 22 carries. Earlier in this year, he started off the season with a big game, 186 rushing yards or thereabouts against Oregon State. He's got the talent. It's a shame that he's sitting behind Dobbins. If he enters the draft, I would expect him to go somewhere early in the, in the last day of the draft, maybe that fourth-round area. And I believe he's going to be great value outside the top 100 picks. Doesn't have a lot of mileage on his body. Has got great physical skills. Excellent ball carrier. I think he's going to be a big-time player, and I think he's a guy who could be a steal in the draft. Tony, we've talked a lot on this podcast about West Virginia wide receiver David Sills, but I understand you've got a bit of news on one of the team's other top wideouts, and that's Marcus Sims, an underclassman. Yeah, from what I've been told, people in the scouting circles really like Sims. In fact, they like him more than David Sills because of his explosive speed and ability to stretch the defense. He goes about 5'11", 190 pounds. He's reportedly run in the four twos uh, last spring at West Virginia, averaging 17.2 yards a catch on 37 receptions. Uh, and this was after uh, his sophomore season when he was 18.9 yards on uh, 35 catches. You know, it's just speed, speed, speed. It seems he's a bigger version. <clears throat> excuse me, bigger version of Tavon Austin. I'm told he's a long ways from making a decision to enter the draft, but. Scouts believe if he does, he's probably going to be a fourth-round pick, and he could be selected ahead of David Sills because of his ability to stretch the defense. Let's stay in the Big 12, Tony, for our prospect preview for this week, and let's look at that big matchup in the Big 12, Texas versus Iowa State. Who are the prospects you're excited to see in this one? Well, obviously it's got to be Chris Boyd, the uh, cornerback from Texas, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast against Hakeem Butler, you know, who's really taken over the reins at the receiver position from Alan Lazard this year. Butler's lighting it up, 36 receptions for 816 yards. He's averaging 22.7 yards uh, each reception. He's got eight TDs. He's built like Alan Lazard, but the fears are Hakeem Butler runs like Alan Lazard. Uh, you know, may not have the speed to separate the next level. Chris Boyd, as we know, he's a feisty guy. He's very effective uh, facing the action. Want to see how he does against the bigger receiver. Want to see if he can start to make plays with his back to the ball. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a great matchup for Boyd 
And it's also a matchup for Butler to show that he's got some downfield speed. And again, you know, like like Alan Lazard or even the uh, the aforementioned uh, Harmon from uh, uh, from North Carolina State is more than just a big-bodied college receiver who wins out for the contested pass. Tony, let's wrap this up with the mock draft roundup, and we're going to go back to the draft network. Kyle Krabs released his third mock draft of the season, and that has the Eagles selecting 16th overall. We're going to go back to the Mountaineers, West Virginia. They have them taking left tackle Yadni Kajus, who I actually had a chance to watch recently. I think he's a pretty intriguing player. What are your thoughts on, on Kajus and you know how he projects to the NFL level? Is he in that first-round discussion in your mind at this point? I would say no. Uh, overall, I like the position, I like the school, but I think he's got the wrong player. If they're going to go offensive tackle in the first round from West Virginia, I think it's going to be the guy on the other side, Colton McKivitz, the right tackle, because he really is, is what the Eagles like in an offensive lineman. He's got excellent size, he's versatile, he's got good agility, he can play both positions, at both tackle positions, he's an effective pass protector that gets out to the second level. Scouts had Kajus coming in uh, the season rated as a third-round pick. When I watched the film over the summer, I, I immediately graded McKivitz uh, higher than Kajus and put him as a potential second-round pick. Now, uh, people who listen to this may be familiar with my own podcast, the Draft Downlist podcast, which I do with Chris Tripodi. And last week we broke down the uh, – we reviewed the exciting uh, Texas-West Virginia game where West Virginia won late in the game on the last uh, – on the two-point conversion – at the very end. And we both talked about Colton McKivitz. We talked about Charles Menehue, the defensive lineman from, uh, defensive end from Texas. And we heaped praised on uh, Colton McKivitz. I was gushing over him, his ability in pass protection to get out on the second level, basically run block. And, and Chris had some high praise on Colton McKivitz. I learned literally just yesterday that another person, Charles Menehue, the defensive end from Texas, had a lot of praise for Colton McKivitz. In fact, I was told that O'Menohue, uh, uh, the defensive end, went into the game basically with Kajust as his highest-rated offensive lineman when he did his film study and from what he had heard and rankings and things like that. But he came out of the game saying that McKivitz was the better player. He was just uh, I, I, surprised by how good McKivitz was, how strong he was as a run blocker. I was able to protect the edge. So, you know, I, I, a lot of people like Kajust. Uh, out of uh, West Virginia, but I think if he enters the draft, Colton McKivitz, the, the the junior right tackle who can also play left on the left side, will be the first pick on that offensive line from the Mountaineers. Could be a top forty-two selection. Yeah, I've watched McKivitz as well. I like both those guys. I I agree with you in that. I think both are probably in that day two range, and both of them offer an intriguing skill set. The issue with Kajus, one of the big issues, will be uh, durability. I know his knees have been a little bit of an issue for him in the past. But Tony, thank you as always for joining us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We will talk to you again here next week. Thanks for having me. Great stuff from Tony. You can follow on Twitter at Tony Pauline. By now, you know you can always follow me on Twitter at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's Nose content you are looking for, they'll be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or the Eagles mobile app. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier that I would break down New Mexico State linebacker Terrell Hanks, one of the initial invites to this year's Senior Bowl. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. 
All right, Terrell Hanks, 6'2", 230 pounds. This kid has been completely flying under the radar so far throughout the course of the 2018 season. New Mexico State hasn't been great, but I got a tip on him back in the summer, gave him a watch, and I was really impressed. You know, Full disclosure, though, this is all based off of 2017, so I still have a lot of evaluating to do. Haven't watched any from his senior season yet. That being said, here's what I've got on him so far. And like I said, very much under the radar. He was only named honorable mention all Sun Belt last year, so it's not like he's been blowing up the stat sheet and making all these headlines. But this is a four-year starter at Sam Linebacker for Frank Spaziani in that 4-3 scheme. Lined up off the ball, typically stacked in the box, sometimes slightly walked out, aligned to the offensive run strength, so typically to the short side of the field. Tall with great length, but a pretty light frame overall that he'll need to continue to pack more weight onto. This is a good athlete. Desired quickness and change of direction of play at a starting level in the NFL. He's got impressive speed in the open field with range to make plays outside the numbers. He helps get teammates lined up pre-snap, and he's constantly pointing things out before the play starts. He's very active with communicating with his teammates up front. You could tell he's one of the leaders of that defense. He never false steps when reading his keys, and he's got solid instincts overall. He's very active with his hands on the move to keep Lyman off of him. Very competitive kid. He does not want to stay blocked. Constantly works his way through contact. Utilized often in underneath zone coverage as a curl flat player, and he's got the range to get to his landmark in a hurry. And he also manned up on tight ends at the line of scrimmage as well as running backs out of the backfield. So he's got the quickness and the experience to play in man coverage at the next level. He's got really impressive ball skills as well with the ability to contort his body to adjust to throws outside of his frame and finish for interceptions. So this is a guy who's got experience and value playing in coverage and he was used as well as a blitzer off the edge. He'll hit the hole with speed and with good timing. He had a nice swim move that he'll use against backs and tight ends but also had some wins against offensive tackles as well at the college level. Now from a negative standpoint. He can take some better angles downhill in the alley when he's one-on-one. He can get a little bit better with his hands on contact as well. He's got a bad habit of breaking down too late as a tackler and letting the ball carrier run by him. He'll tend to duck his head as well and launch as a tackler, something he's definitely going to need to improve on moving to the next level. Uh, Play strength can be a little bit of a concern. He'll bounce off ball carriers at times just because especially of his technique and his frame. Can get very grabby in coverage at times in man coverage, so something to watch there when he's playing in space. And multiple times he was flagged for roughing the passer so something to watch there as a blitzer but overall this is an athletic kid with position versatility he can play sideline to sideline he's got starting caliber tools I just need to see the discipline get a little bit better when I watch him this year as a senior and I'd like to see him become a little bit more consistent as a tackler but I like him best on the weak side where he can just run and chase I ended up grading him as a starting player though and he's one of my five favorite senior linebackers in this country based on who I've watched so far I figured we would see him in Mobile in January. Excited to see him there in person. I was excited to see that he was one of the initial invites for the Senior Bowl. Keep in mind, by the way, that we broke down one of the other initial invites in defensive tackle Gerald Willis III from Miami last week in our scouting report segment. So you can go back out and check that out from last week's episode if you want to. But all right, let's keep this show rolling here. I was happy to be joined by Eagles linebackers coach Ken Flagel and Mr. Relevant to talk ironically about some of the pain points for young linebackers making the jump from college to the NFL. Let's get to that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Coach, I wanted to ask you about uh, the transition from college to the NFL for guys at the linebacker spot and really wanted to focus, since it's more of a space game at college level with the wider hash marks and those guys are maybe stressed in different ways, 
What is that transition like for those guys, especially for teams that maybe played a little bit more in space? Well, the I don't think they've changed the dimensions of the field yet, so that's that's still in our advantage. But I think the game, the college game, certainly what what they're faced to defend is a little bit different than what we're faced to defend in the NFL. You know, there's so much quarterback read option in the college game, and the quarterback is such a threat as a runner. And although we have elements of that in our league, nobody makes a living out of that because of the quarterback position. You know, owners don't like to see their their franchise quarterbacks carry the ball as a design run play. I'm not, you know, it happens on scrambles and things like that. But as design run plays, most owners don't like to have their mega million guy sitting on the sidelines because he's taken three hits on a quarterback. So the the type of offenses that they're facing in the college is different than what we face. And and again, I think because the passing game is so prolific in the NFL, I think the coverage adjustments and the nuances in coverage in the NFL are a little bit different than they are in college. Um, that I just think there's more of an emphasis in the throwing game in the NFL because of the skill level of the wide receivers and the quarterbacks. So it puts a little bit more onus on us on defense in terms of how we teach coverage, our multiplicity of coverages, our nuances in coverages, how we uh, you know, adjust a certain coverage to formations and motions and things like that. I don't think they have to face that quite as much in college as we do. Now, if somebody said, what are the things the colleges do? I mean, they've got to deal with a lot of, like we mentioned, the quarterback read option, but they've got a ton of unbalanced formations in college that we don't even, you know, I mean, the, the unbalanced formations, the, the way the rules are written in the NFL are pretty vanilla compared to the way they are in college so we don't get all the wacky formations that they do in college but I think just the coverage aspect of it fitting up two back runs uh, I don't think the college kids get a lot of work at that just because it's all one back runs and uh, and it's zone schemes that's a little bit different you know Uh, that's probably the biggest transition for them to get answers to those questions are you able to get those answers on film or is that more of a uh, meeting with them at workouts and at the combine? I think that's a little bit more of a meeting with them and, and visiting with their coaches. You know, again, uh, we call it FBI football instincts, uh, just their ability to process the game. You know, do they, do they have a good intellect for that? Because, again, you may not see an uh, illustration on tape of them fitting up a two-back run, and, and uh, the passing game may not challenge them as much uh, with the multiplicity of formations and, and route combinations. So you just try to find out if a guy gets it, so to speak. I mean, can he go in there and, and does the guy adapt well? If it's a play that he hasn't seen during the course of the week, you might ask his coach, hey, okay, if you, if you fix it on the sidelines, does he have a repetitive mistake? And, you know, you'll get an impression from all the background work you do on these guys if, if he's got a legitimate chance to mentally transition into this league. Great stuff, as expected there, from Ken Flagel. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. But before we transition to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on Facebook. What we love most here, though, is when you take a minute and head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to Brian Wharton, who went onto our Apple Podcast page and left a rating and a question 
saying, I'm an Eagles fan stuck in North Carolina. Absolutely love the show. Are there any players from UNC Charlotte that could pop up as prospects at some point? Larry Ogunjobi was totally under the radar on most draft sites until a couple of weeks before the draft, and he's become a very solid defensive tackle at the next level. Could someone like wide receiver turned linebacker Jawan Foggy get on the radar at some point? He leads college football in interceptions on the season. He's got two pick sixes. I haven't heard anything but one maybe article written about him at all. Go Niners. So great question there, Brian. Coming into the year, the only guy that was on my radar at all for Charlotte was the offensive lineman, Nathaniel Davis. He is a guard. I have not studied him so far, um, but I know that he's kind of viewed as nothing more than a day three pick. So at some point, I'll try and get to him. I haven't watched Foggy yet, but... I have added him to my watch list now, so hopefully I'll get to him at some point in the near future. We talked a lot about Ogunjobi, by the way, on the Journey to the Draft podcast a couple of years ago. I actually liked him when he came out. I watched him right around this time of year because he was one of the first announcements for the Senior Bowl that season. So I watched him early, and I liked what I saw. He was a four-year captain on the very first team for the 49ers when they jumped on the scene down there in Charlotte. I did like him quite a bit, and I thought the Browns got a good player. Good question, though, and for you all of you out there, if you want to ask a question, if you want to get it read on the show that's the last rating and review in the hopper so what are you waiting for just jump in leave a rating and review your question will be right on next week's show but it's about that time let's welcome in ben fennel and look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this weekend in college football it's time for saturday scouting It's that time again for my favorite segment on the show. Time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennel, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Ben, let's get things going here. You were down in the swamp this week, Florida, South Carolina. Outstanding game, really fun game to watch. I did watch that game, uh, and it was a really big-time matchup because there were some really interesting players on both sides of the football. Yeah, a lot of NFL prospects. It was a fun college football game. Not a whole lot of national championship implications, not a whole lot of SEC implications. But good college football game really represented the other Florida games I did this year against Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, where they started out just a little bit clunky in the first quarter True. and really had to come from behind. And the defense really sealed the game in the fourth quarters. No question. So well, let's start with the, the biggest player, I would say, in the game is probably on the South Carolina side, and that's wide receiver Debo Samuel, number one. Uh, initial takeaway is seeing Debo Samuel alive. Yeah, I was very impressed to see Debo, uh, particularly in pregame and just getting a good close-up uh, look at his body and his body type and his flexibility and how he's put together. Man, this guy has the body of a running back. You just see that bubble butt and those built, rocked-up legs. He very much has the body type of a Randall Cobb or maybe even a Percy Harvin, one of those hmm. slot receivers that are almost built like a running back. And you saw the whole repertoire from him all over the place, whether it's running the ball on jet sweeps, giving him – uh, run after catch opportunities and screens and slants. He returns kicks. He'll even do some gunning in the punt game. So you just saw kind of everything he can do for an NFL team. Yeah, I thought, you know, in this game you saw uh, some yards after catch ability. He didn't have that that juice at the back end to finish for the touchdown. He did get hawked from behind. But, you know, you, do, you did see his competitiveness with the ball in his hands. I agree with you. I mean, I think when you watch him, you see a guy that's really going to work well over the middle of the field with that body type. You know, he's got that ability to shake defenders off. Really intriguing player. I watched a few games on film last week, uh, just from earlier this season, Georgia, Kentucky, a couple of others. He, I wish that you saw the same juice that we did a year ago. I'm not sure that he's still that he's gotten that back yet, coming back off the broken leg, but still a really intriguing player. Yeah, and I think scouts are kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt, knowing he came off a major leg injury, and he's probably still recovering with conditioning and foot speed, so he's a little bit behind. I'm afraid he's going to go to the combine and run 
four five six or four five nine. I can see he, that people yeah. are going to knock him down a couple of rounds. But if you just put it on the tape, he's not a great start and stop guy. He doesn't have blazing speed to run away from defenders, but he's just a really good, reliable football player. I agree. Yeah, well, let's talk about the other big name in this game, and that was uh, he was on the field when Debo was there on the field as well, but on the other side, and that's Florida defensive end Jakai Polite. Yeah, I'm having a tough time finding anybody else in the country whose st- uh, draft stock has blown up the way J- uh, Jakai Polites has. Maybe Quinn and Williams in Alabama. Has your check yet, by the way? Uh, it has not yet. I'm, I'm hoping to get two, maybe 3% <laughs> for my work, you know, in uh, pumping him up. But I haven't seen anybody really shoot up draft boards and uh, national attention the way Jakai Polite has. But it was great to see him pregame working on technique and fundamentals with some of the younger defensive ends, serving as a tackle and working on hand usage and bend and pressure points with the younger guys. And during the game, you just saw what he can provide for you. Keep in mind, he is 6'3", 245 pounds. Mm-hmm. This is a light player off the edge. He doesn't play first and second down. Yep. That's Jabari Zaniga and C.C. Jefferson, two great senior uh, defensive ends over there. But he'll come on on third down to rush the passer. He'll work around in some different pressure schemes that Todd Grantham does. He'll line him up maybe over a nose tackle over the middle of the field to you know, maybe rush from depth or just yeah. serve as a QB spy like we saw on Saturday as sure. he did against uh, Jake Bentley, and he was able to wrangle him on a couple plays where he just spied from the second level, waited for Bentley to break outside the pocket, and then he hit the Jets and made the tackle. Love the usage of getting after the passer without just foot speed and quickness and winning off the edge. You saw a beautiful long arm move where he's using his hands, great hand placement, initial stab, and he worked back underneath to the quarterback's depth and slammed Bentley into the ground. I love just seeing that full repertoire and that he's just not a speedy edge rusher that wants to take the corn on everybody, that he's using his hands, not getting stuck behind quarterbacks, and just adding to his pass rush tricks. You and I had an interesting discussion about him uh, this weekend, actually, you know, and talking about Ja'Kai Polite and really, I guess, what his value will be in draft. We've talked about it a couple times, but as you continue to watch him up close and see you know, just kind of the total picture of what he can bring, it's going to be really interesting because he's a guy, like you mentioned, that brings a ton of value as a pass rusher, but in college, not playing first down, not really playing many second downs either, it's going to be really interesting to see how he's perceived by NFL teams because right now, to be a three-down player is going to be a projection for him. Yeah, if I had to guess, and this is purely a guess, I think he's going to come out because I don't know if he could really increase his draft stock. But if I had to guess, around February and March, he'll be one of the more polarizing prospects to discuss, whether that's among NFL scouts or just the draft Knicks on Twitter. Because I can tell you right now, there's going to be about half the teams in the NFL that maybe have him a uh, a round or two later than some of the other teams. But it just takes one team. Look at the Saints trading up for Marcus Davenport. All of a sudden, Marcus Davenport's the 12th player off the board. He's a first-round pick. It just takes one team to fall in love with his traits and to say, we have a complete team. We need one speedy edge rusher. We're going to get our guy. He may not be the best player at the time, but he has an elite trait, and it just takes one team to want to go get that. Yeah, and I think when you look at his skill set, will certainly be something that's very attractive to teams because it is all about getting after the quarterback. Let's talk about one more player in this game, and that's South Carolina play- linebacker T.J. Brunson. He is a junior. He's been very productive over the course of the last couple of years. Did get some buzz over the summer. I haven't studied him yet, though. Uh, what did you see from him in this game? Yeah, he's more of a you know a run plugger. He's short. He's kind of limited with his length and athleticism. He's 6'1", 240. He's a finishing tackler. Reminds me a little bit of T. Gray Scales from Indiana last oh, year. Andre Smith out of North Carolina. Bit of a run plugger. You know, doesn't have a whole lot of sideline to sideline speed. But once I dug into this kid, 
you saw a bunch of great acclimates, uh, you know, on his bio, whether it's the strength and conditioning award, the tenacity award on defense. He was an all bowl team member of AP last year, co-defensive player in the spring. So, you know, he's a guy that's practicing very hard, obviously doing all the work in the weight room, in the classroom, respected from the coaches. And you just saw some absolutely big time hits and finishing tackles in that Florida game. I know P. Ryan and Scarlett each ran for 100 yards and they broke a bunch of tackles on yeah. other defenders. But when you just focus on T.J. Brunson, he did a lot of good things uh, to focus on for the next level. And the guy, one of the guys that plays next to him, uh, Delani Staley, number 30, is uh, Eagles running backs coach, assistant head coach, Deuce Staley's son. So interesting guy to keep an eye on moving forward. So uh, let's hmm. get into some of the superlatives here, Ben. One play takeaway from this game, Florida, South Carolina. Now look, Debo Samuel did all sorts of things on the field. He returned kicks, caught passes, slants, yards after catch, jet sweeps. He almost busted the one kick return. He did. It yeah. was a couple. He, uh, you know, it was just a play away. I think one came back on a penalty. Yes. But my one play takeaway, he was actually a punt gunner. And what he did was beat the press coverage from the jammer, flew down the field, the punt was muffed, and who was there? You know, perfect timing to fall on that ball, Debo Samuel. But where that play started was his release off the line. And that's what gave him, a, you know, a foot or two or a, you know, a step ahead from that jammer. But it was just great to see his special teams involvement, and you could see the enthusiasm that he had from landing on that ball. Yeah, and he he got banged up throughout the course of this game too. You could see he was kind of nursing. I don't know if it was something in his chest or his rib. Yeah, it looked like a rib injury. But his ability to then still play special teams with that, like I, that to me, that spoke big a time. Lot to yeah, me. no question. All right, uh, off the bus guy. Who are you most impressed with in pregame? Yeah, there's two guys that just look good in their jerseys on the South Carolina side. Javon Kinlaw, 6'6", 305. This guy's pretty close to a spitting image of Chris Jones, who's a trench player, but he's very upright. He's slender. He's got a big torso. And just so you know, watch him in warm-ups. He's just a big, broad, good-looking kid. And on the other side, Zach Bailey, their left guard, is 6'6", 315, who's just a nasty, run-moving, people-moving mauler in the trenches there. Two good-looking players with some serious size. All right, let's get into the the down-the-road freak show from this game. I have an idea of which way you're going, but uh, let's go with who you think from the underclassmen ranks, freshmen, sophomores, that stood out most to you. You know, I've done about five Florida games in the last two years, and it seems like every game this kid's doing something, some sort of explosive play or gadget play. But sophomore athlete, for lack of better words, mm. Kadarius Tony at Florida. He's 5'11", he's 190 pounds. He was a high school quarterback. But he's not really a running back, he's not really a receiver, and he's not playing quarterback. So the only way they can get him the ball is gadget plays, trick plays, wildcat stuff, double passes, end around. And in this game, it was no different. I think he had a double pass in this one. My question is, if you have enough injuries in that secondary, how far off is he to maybe play some defensive back for you? He's 5'11", 190, a great athlete, great foot speed. Where can you use him on your football team? Yeah, that's a good question. He's got some juice, man. I no mean, the, question. The, the touchdown he scored on the screen pass, I mean, he went from 0 to 60 in a, in a flash. Uh, he's got that instant speed. And he was offered from Alabama, so just for a frame of reference on his style and athleticism and skill set. All right, so let's get into this week's matchup. You're back in the Big Ten. You don't have to travel too far for this game, just a little bit down 95. You're going down to uh, to College Park, Maryland, to see the Terps take on Ohio <clears throat> State. There's plenty of storylines with uh, both of these teams away from the field. But uh, let's get into what you're going to see between the lines here on Sunday. Uh, let's start on the Maryland side, because we haven't talked about the Terps really at all uh, on this show throughout the course of the year. What's the one player I think you want to kind of start with going into this game? Yeah, I don't get to do too many games in this kind of Northeast corridor. I think my five years with ESPN, I've only done one game in the Northeast really? or in this Atlantic area. It was a Wisconsin versus Rutgers game four years ago. Where Melvin Gordon ran all over the place. 
But, you know, we're going to focus heavily on Maryland here. We already did Ohio State to start the year against Oregon State. So some of these prospects I'm seeing for the first time. Very intriguing player on that left side of the offensive line, Derwin Gray, who's a senior left tackle. He's 6'5", 330. He was a four-star from Friendship Collegiate there in Washington. Some very high-profile teammates, Yannick Ndakwe, Jermaine Carter, who both went to Maryland as well. Tease Tabor went over to Florida. But this guy spent a year after there at Fork Union Military Academy, then redshirted. So we're talking a kid who's five, six years out of high school. He's very mature. He's a very strong player. Our uh, friend over at the draft analyst, Tony Pauline, had a fifth-round grade on him over the summer. I'm not really sure where I see him. Right now, definitely a mid-round player. He's a really strong player, good punch at the point of attack. He's got the grip strength. He's got the length, the size. He's a mauler, plays from a two-point stance. He's a little bit stiff, doesn't really have the bend to you know, get his hand down on the ground and fire off uh, consistently. He's a bit heavy-footed. He's a little bit sloppy in his balance, has his weight over his shoes too often and falling forward. Not a great athlete. I wonder if he'll project into guard at the next level. Mm. I see some comparisons, maybe like a DJ Fluker or a Greg Robinson, a Godser Cherilis. Some players like Fluker and Robinson who are immediately kind of projected and maybe slide into guard. I could see that same transition. Yeah, I watched him as a junior, and you know, because I, I did watch a couple of clips when you were when you were studying him. He looked a little bit lighter on his feet, I remember, from his junior season. So I don't know if he put on a little bit extra weight or what, because I agree with you. What you saw uh, this year, he definitely looked a little bit sloppier, a guy that uh, I thought could stick out a tackle. Um, but I th- the main issues I did have, he was definitely a little bit stiff in the knees, You know, plays a little bit too straight-legged, run game and pass game, struggled to drop that anchor. So. Yeah, but I didn't see any sort of liability. You know, He was matched yeah. up against Michigan's Chase Winovich quite often, didn't really give up any pressures or QB hits to Winovich. Played pretty well in the Iowa game. The uh, defensive end, A.J. Espinosa, Espinosa uh, got into him a little bit. Gave up a brutal sack fumble last year to Nick Bosa. Oh. Unfor- unfortunately, won't be able to get his redemption this year. But we'll, we'll see, see how he Chase hit. Young, though. Yes, he will see some other top-flight yeah. edge rushers for NFL scouts to pay attention to. All right, so talking about uh, former top-flight high school recruits at the defensive end spot, a guy that I haven't studied is Byron Cowart, and I know that he's in, his, I believe, his first year at Maryland. Mm-hmm. He started his career at Auburn, yes, right? Yes, yep. Uh, former five-star kid. Uh, what have you seen from Byron Cowart? Yeah, in some perspective of Byron Cowart, he wasn't just a five-star kid. This was the number one rated defensive player in the entire country coming mm-hmm. out of high school. So very highly sought. Uh, but he transferred from Auburn. His mom was sick. He was also a little bit lost once Muschamp left as the defensive coordinator at Auburn in t- 2015. But this year, he's really starting to put together a good stat line. He's already got five TFLs, three sacks, two picks, a forced fumble. He's a very productive player. But what scouts will be intrigued with is his positional versatility. He could play some 3-4-5 tech. He could play some 4-3 end. He could maybe play 3 tech for a 4-3 team and some sub packages. Interesting. He's 6'4", 293. Some comparisons. Right off the bat, I got a feel from Deshaun Hand last year at Alabama, Okay. who was a fourth-round pick of the Detroit Lions, and a bit of a poor man Cameron Hayward of the Pittsburgh Steelers, a guy that can really play up and down the line, a little bit more squatty than a lengthy uh, trench player, but plays a great leverage, loves to sink his hips at the point of attack, And you watch this guy engage head up against tackles and tight ends. He looks like a player that's just hitting the sled. He'll stack you. He'll lock out his arms, play with his eyes up, 
ragdoll you around and shed you and find the ball carrier, which you'd love to see those fundamentals. Very interesting. I, I have known about Coward, obviously, since coming out of high school. Had, didn't watch him or anything, but just knew who, who he was. Saw that he left Auburn. Was, I was interested when he got to Maryland. I just haven't studied him yet. He so. doesn't have the length or any flashy athleticism. But he's just a really good player, and I love guys that can, what I say, handle their business at the point of attack and play against the player head up lock him out, find the ball carrier, and shed the block. Nice. I'm interested to get your take on him once you see him live. Uh, let's get to one more player from Maryland, Darnell Savage, a senior safety. Again, another guy I know nothing about. Yeah, I actually texted one of my scout uh, friends and just said I was heading this game. Give me a name to pay attention to. He said senior safety, Darnell Savage Jr. Mm. He's uh, 5'11", 200 pounds, a bit of an undersized safety, but just like Chauncey Gardner at Florida, which I call a coverage safety, and that's a great position that's a really – becoming valuable in the NFL. He's got the ball skills. He could click and close, read the eyes of the quarterback in these zone coverages, takes great angles to the ball, great bursts to close on the ball, especially when he's playing from depth and has to drive on these outbreaking routes. Takes, takes great angles, and you hmm. see the foot speed. He can match up against tight ends. He has the size and the physicality. He's already got four picks this year. He had three last year, eight PBUs last year, five tackles for loss already this year. He get, works into it as a blitzer quite often and getting after the quarterback. So, you know, he's another player that I hope to see at the Senior Bowl and just see how he holds up in one-on-ones and maybe get some better competition. Another Ohio State guy that, you know, we talked about Chase Young and some of those young guys, Draymond Jones on the defensive line for sure, is one of my favorite players in the country. Uh, but let's look at the, at the offense and quarterback Dwayne Haskins. Is there uh, anything you're looking for specifically from Haskins in this game? You know, I did Haskins opener against Oregon State where, you know, he really put himself on the national stage with a great performance. And the very next week, only had three incompletions against Rutgers, four touchdowns, was looking at 11 touchdowns after the first three weeks. And over the past couple of weeks, he's just come back down to earth a little bit. The completion percentage against Penn State, Nebraska, Michigan State, his ball placement, his ability to see the field just regressed a little bit from what we saw to open the season. So I just want him to, you know, polish up his game a little bit more, make better decisions, a little bit more accurate with the football. Two more guys. I'm going to give you a little bit of homework here. Two guys that I think you could be talking about when you get back here next week. Ty Johnson, the running back from Maryland, who you know I don't think he's a starter or really even maybe not even a number two ball carrier at the NFL level, but I do think he's going to find a place in the NFL depth chart. He's got a little bit of juice to him. Uh, he plays kick return, a good pass protector. Uh, I like what I've seen from him. He's a senior for Maryland as well. Yeah, my one issue with Ty Johnson, though, he only has 11 catches yes. the last two seasons, so yep. I really worry about his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. I know they don't feature running backs in the pass game a whole lot, so it may be scheme-oriented. And the other issue is... He keeps getting beat out in the backfield for touches. Mm -hmm. Anthony McFarlane, yep. who's a, a very flashy four-star sophomore, is the team's leading rusher. They both average seven, you know, seven a carry, so they're productive when they get the ball. But it's just concerning that as a senior, he's not the lead back. Yeah, back there. no question. I, he was. I think the last time he was the lead back, I think it was his sophomore year. Uh, where he led the team in touches. I think he started like the last eight, eight or nine games. And there could be a lot of factors behind that. So New offensive it, coordinator it, it doesn't necessarily like mean it's a, you know, a knock on him. Yep, and then Jesse Anabonham uh, missed most of last year with an injury. I think he got hurt in week one against Texas. I watched the Texas game, and I watched him back in 2016. He's got pretty good size, uh, I would say, across the board. I mean, pretty good length. And he's got some athletic upside. You know, a guy that I, I actually compared him to was Marcus Smith. I mean, from Marcus Smith's days at Louisville, is a guy that you know looks the part, uh, has some athletic upside, just has to put it all together. And no one's really talking about Anna Bonham now. I don't think he's going to be a, a day one or day two pick, 
but it's an interesting guy. I'll, I'm interested to see what he looks like coming off the injury because, like I said, he missed most of last year. I see year. Six, three, 260. Are we yeah. talking more of a squattier edge player? I That's not necessarily what I remember. I kind of remember him being more like closer to 6'4 in that 250 range. But, okay. All right. you know, we're, we're splitting hairs there. I'm interested to hear what you think of him when you see him in person. Yeah, and but. full disclosure, I don't know this Maryland team too much, yeah. so you know, I'm kind of just getting into some of these prospects very, as well. Very, very interested. All right, well, one other matchup I'm excited for I'll be writing about this week in Saturday Scouting. We're going to talk about UMass Georgia because this is one of those weeks, Ben, where like all the SEC teams are all playing cupcakes. Uh, there are some interesting conference matchups across the country, but the interesting thing about the cupcake games is finding the players on the smaller schools, and this is their this is their Super Bowl. This is their big chance to shine against quality competition. So, you know, last week we talked about Anthony Isabella, the wide receiver from UMass, uh, the running back Marquise Haynes from UMass as well. UMass, the Minutemen take on Georgia. So, uh, you know, Isabella taking on DeAndre Baker, the corner, uh, Natrez Patrick, the linebacker from Georgia, being matched up with Marquise Haynes. Those are big matchups. So I'll dive into some of those uh, as well as some of the other conference games uh, in this week's Saturday Scouting article, which you can find on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or on my Twitter feed at FDuffy3. Ben, we'll be back next week. I'm really excited to get your feelings on this Ohio State-Maryland matchup. Great stuff as always. Again, go check out Ben on Twitter at BenFennel underscore NFL. All right, time to wrap up this podcast with some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, this week in Draft Mailbag, we're going to go to Robbie Kay, who reached out on Twitter and asked about who are the top left tackles in this class. So just looking at the senior class, Robbie, I think you look at uh, a guy, obviously, look, um, you know, it's, we've had some injuries, and we'll see if these underclassmen come out. But I think there are a couple interesting upperclassmen. Number one, I'd look at Andre Dillard, the left tackle for Washington State. I just had a chance to study him for the first time over the weekend. Uh, we've talked a lot with Ben Fennell about him. He's seen him live twice, so you can go and check him out. Uh, with some of those conversations we've had with Ben, but I like Andre Dillard, very confident pass protector. Uh, he's you know got a lot going for him in terms of strength. He can move people. And I think he's going to have to kind of adjust to the NFL game in terms of playing it with his hand in the dirt and things like that. But uh, this is a guy I think's got a lot of talent. Michael Dieter from Wisconsin plays left tackle there for the Badgers, but he's got double digit starts at multiple offensive line positions. So I'm not sure if left tackle's his best spot. I do think he could probably play there. I worry a little bit about his length and I. I do think he'd be a better guard, but Michael Dieter, I think, could be in that discussion. We talked about Yadni Kajust from West Virginia earlier on the show with Tony Pauline. I think Yadni does have next-level potential at the tackle spot. Mitch Hyatt is a guy we've talked about in the past from Clemson, uh, a guy who's been a four-year starter at left tackle for the Tigers. I think he'll be a nice player for the next level. And if we want a, a guy to develop, Ethan Greenidge from Villanova was a guy I watched a couple games of earlier this fall, and I was pretty intrigued by him. So he'd be another guy I'd keep an eye on. I think he'll be a developmental tackle as well. So good question there from Robbie. And if you ever have any questions for the show, again, feel free. Hit me up on Twitter at FDuffy3 or head over to one of our podcast channels. Give us that rating. Leave us that question in the comment section. Guarantee you will make the show. With this being a new show, that's the best way to throw us your support. It helps bump us up in the ratings, helps to spread the word for people that are looking for podcasts just like this one. So if you get that chance really really appreciate the support so great stuff this week from tony pauline ben fennel ken flagel and all of you out there listening whether you're on philadelphiaeagles.com the eagles mobile app or any of our podcast platforms thank you again for listening as always to the journey to the draft podcast for everybody here at the nova care complex i'm fran duffy we will talk to you next week